Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are still a few weeks away from the big battle against Baylor, but could a marquee matchup with a Big 12 opponent be the perfect time for a school announcement? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we are kicking off the show today with a brief, abbreviated version of what we call Andy Locks. That is when listeners submit hot takes. We grade them too hot, too cold, or just right. I had two submissions last week, even though we didn't find time to end up actually doing the Andy Locks segment because of the weekday game between Gonzaga and Texas. So we're going to put them here. I think it's very applicable to what happened against Kentucky and what is coming up for the Zags in the next couple of weeks. This first hot take comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff said, at the PK-85 next week, even though the two Big 12 teams are playing there, the Big 12 commissioner will end up spending more time with Gonzaga's athletic director than both Big 12 teams combined, and that could lead to a significant announcement regarding Big 12 membership a week later as part of the Gonzaga-Baylor showdown. Yeah, that would be an incredible time to make an announcement regarding Gonzaga and the Big 12 a matchup between Gonzaga and Baylor, kind of the premier matchup of the day being played at a unique neutral site venue. I don't think this is particularly likely. I don't think the the odds of Gonzaga and the Big 12 having progressed to the point where they could make any level of announcement uh, in the coming weeks seems astronomically high to me. I just don't think that it's particularly likely. I know that the USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten seemed to come together somewhat quickly uh, after uh, initial kind of reports about it. It was a bit of a shock, to be honest, and I know that some people might be expecting a similar thing with Gonzaga, but I I don't think Gonzaga is really in a a big hurry to make any changes at all, quite frankly. I I think that they are in a position where they're going to be a little choosy, they're going to be really feeling out all of the options and exploring the financial impact and the travel impact and what it does to their other programs. Like there's, there's so much at play here. And I, I, I think that obviously Gonzaga and the big 12 have had conversations and I do believe that this is, uh, they are serious conversations. I absolutely believe that. I think that there is mutual interest on both sides. It does seem like they have had continued conversations between Chris Standiford, the AD at Gonzaga and Brett Yormack, the big 12 commissioner. And I, I think that they could potentially progress in those conversations as soon as like this year, but I would be, there's just so many factors that need to be at play that are different than like the USC and UCLA. They, they are obviously football programs. 
they're moving mostly because of their football programs, even though, uh, you know, they obviously have really prominent basketball programs as well, at least UCLA does. Uh, but there was, it was a bit easier to take a school that is a similar institutional size and has a, a football program uh, and move it over to a conference with schools of similar size with football programs. Like it's, just, it's a little bit easier to kind of make that transition and, and knock out the budget stuff and kind of figure out how all that's going to work. It's much more complicated with Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a much smaller school. They have less resources institutionally. Uh, they're going to be asked to travel a significant distance in, in a way that, yes, that's true of UCLA and, and USC moving to the Big Ten, but they have just a much, much bigger overall athletic department budget, a bigger endowment, uh, a football program, which makes all of that entirely different. For Gonzaga, they're going to have to figure out how to make this work financially, and they're going to get a cut, certainly from the Big 12, a large chunk of change from the Big 12. It's no doubt in my mind that a move to the Big 12 for Gonzaga is a boof, is a boost uh, from a financial perspective, a significant boost. But ironing out exactly how it's going to work doesn't seem like something that's going to happen particularly quickly in my mind, just because Gonzaga moving to the Big 12 is so unique as a non-football program. Like the Big 12 is obviously preparing to accept Houston and BYU uh, in coming seasons. Both those programs are not as high level from a football perspective as many of the other programs, even in the Big 12. Like TCU is one of the top programs in the entire country. You know, Baylor was ranked at points this year. Uh, I, I think that the Big 12 is willing to accept programs that aren't as good football-wise, in order to boost their basketball programs. Clearly, that is something they're doing with Houston. Clearly, that is something that they would be exploring with Gonzaga. But accepting a school that doesn't have football at all is a different breed. It's a different animal, and it's going to take some time. It's going to take some resources. It's going to take some uh, some consulting, some you know, third parties coming in and help figuring out exactly how all this is going to shake down. And while I think that Ultimately, it's possible they come to a re resolution that does involve Gonzaga moving to the Big 12. I would be fairly surprised if it happened in that short of a time period. And I also think Gonzaga is going to listen to potential offers from other conferences. Maybe the Pac-12 will finally realize that this is not a commodity. They want to just watch walk away and go somewhere else. Maybe the Pac-12 will come and, and, and engage in some of those conversations. I'm not sure that the Pac-12 could put together an offer that's more appealing than whatever the Big 12 would be able to offer, although they do offer a more reasonable travel schedule geographically. Um, I'm also not sure if the Pac-12 is going to be interested. They haven't showed interest in the past, so there's no guarantee that they will show interest now. Uh, Gonzaga could consider the Mountain West, although I think that they will more likely keep their sights set on one of the actual Power 5 conferences or Power 6 conferences because I think the Big East could could still be in play here as well, although the conversation about the Big East has somewhat tempered off uh, in recent years, but or in recent months, I should say. But regardless, I think that Gonzaga is in a place where they're not going to be particularly desperate to make a move right now. Uh, but I do think that the Big 12 is the best option. And if they can come to a resolution, perhaps this is something that could get done fairly soon. By the time Gonzaga plays Baylor, probably not, but fairly soon. All right, next hot take comes from KOC via Twitter DM who says, Ben Gregg will play more minutes than Efton Reed for the rest of the season. I want to be clear, this was submitted prior to the Kentucky game on Sunday. At the time, it would have looked like a much hotter take. Now, it doesn't even really look like a hot take at all. It kind of looks like a potentially factual statement uh, after what we saw in the Kentucky game. Ben Gregg, or excuse me, Efton Reed, he came in the game first as he has. Uh, I think he typically comes in around the under 12 media timeout, gives Drew a little bit of a break. 
But once again, he just didn't look particularly comfortable in the offense. He was committing turnovers. He was committing fouls pretty quickly on the defensive end. Uh, We've seen him have traveling issues. We've seen him commit offensive fouls fairly regularly. He just hasn't adapted to Gonzaga's offense yet. I kind of, I don't think that there is much more to it than that. I don't think that he is like not good. Like, I don't think that that's the issue. I think he is talented. I think he is a player who's going to adapt well to Gonzaga's offense when he is more of the focal point offensively. He's just not that right now. The Timmy Reed lineups are, are pretty ugly and have been pretty ugly every time they've happened this season. It's worth pointing out, as I pointed out on Tuesday's episode, that trying to judge the transfers for how they've acclimated into this offense when Gonzaga's schedule has been more difficult than it has ever been for any other transfer to begin the season, I think is worth pointing out. Like most other transfers didn't have to adjust uh, to Gonzaga's offense while playing teams like Michigan State and Texas and Kentucky. Uh, Having said that, Ben Gregg is a more natural fit alongside Drew Timmy, at least on the offensive end of the floor. Ben Gregg is still a borderline turnstile defensively, and that is an issue that it needs to change. He's not good on that end of the floor. Reed uh, is better defensively, but if he's going to continue to commit fouls, then it's kind of obsolete because you, you can't play defense if you're getting in foul trouble and if you're putting opponents on the line you know, you're not actually being all that impactful. So I think Reed has the higher ceiling. I think Reed is going to be the more impactful player long-term for the rest of the season. Ben Gregg playing more minutes wouldn't shock me. I think it's gonna be fairly close. I think we'll see both these guys get more of a run as the regular season kind of comes across and we get more into the conference games. But for right now, Ben Gregg's probably the more impactful, more productive player to play in this moment. And Mark Few has shown he's not will here. He's very willing to make those adjustments if that's what he thinks needs to be done to get this team a victory. All right, the Zags' needs have been well documented at this point, even though they are 3-1 and one on the season. Uh, for this week's WCC Wednesday segment, we're going to take a look at which players in the conference I would think would be the best fit on this Gonzaga Bulldogs roster. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's extremely simple to use. Start by adding your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, folks, for WCC Wednesday today, decided to switch it up a little bit, do something different, look around the conference. There is such an incredible amount of high-end talent in the WCC these days. It has been just staggering to see the performances by individual players. The transfer portal helps with this significantly. We've also seen some teams uptick in their recruiting in a lot of ways and 
for Gonzaga, for a team right now that that has shown some weaknesses, has shown some some areas of concern on this roster. I thought it might be fun uh, to take a look at some of the best players in the WCC, and not necessarily just a list of hey, here are the five best guys, but here are the guys that I think would most be a fit on Gonzaga's roster with the current needs that they have. Uh, so I picked five guys to talk about. I also picked a lengthy list of honorable mentions so we can kind of go through those guys quickly. Uh, hopefully an opportunity for folks to watch some of these guys play in some of their games this uh, this season before we get into conference play uh, and just kind of check out the, the talent that is in this conference. Number one for me, the guy I would, I would quickly add to Gonzaga's roster if given the opportunity to do so is Pepperdine point guard Houston Millette. Uh, Millette has been an absolute star since he came to Pepperdine. He was a freshman last year. He's in his sophomore year now. Six foot five combo guard. He plays primarily the point, though, so he would be a, a, an oversized point guard for the Zags. So far this season, he's averaging 15 points, five boards, three and a half assists, and most notably, only 1.2 turnovers per game, so would significantly help Gonzaga's assist-to-turnover ratio, which has been quite bad so far to begin the season. He's also shooting 44% from deep and has improved defensively, so a guy who can provide the Zags with basically everything that they need, good ball security, limited turnovers, elite outside shooting. He can create his own shot. He would be the the guard on Gonzaga's roster with the ability to just go get a bucket when play breaks down and they need to find something to get a score, a role that Jalen Suggs has filled in the past. Brasier Bolton is kind of that guy for Gonzaga right now, but Houston Millette is a certified bucket getter and would be a really, really nice addition. Were there an opportunity for him to come to Spokane? Next up is another oversized kind of point guard, combo guard player. This is Brandon Podzimski out of Santa Clara. He's a transfer from Illinois. His first season with the Broncos, he only played a little tiny bit in the Big Ten with Illinois, was, was basically a bit player, uh, came to Santa Clara and has blossomed into a straight-up star. 6'5 combo guard, 20 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game, 2.5 assists, and just under 3 steals per game for Podzimski. He has been a star for Santa Clara so far this year. Uh, looks like a guy who would fit in perfectly with what Gonzaga needs. Again, a score first guard, a good rebounding guard. It always helps to have guys like that. Uh, a good defensive guard, three steals per game. He's only shooting 47% on two-pointers, but he's shooting 41% from deep, too. So we're talking about knockdown three-point shooter, high-level scorer, good rebounder, good defensive guard at his size, 6'5". Man, I mean, that fills so many of the needs that Gonzaga has right now. It kind of fills the, the gap of, of what we haven't really seen from Malachi Smith just yet. Uh, that's the kind of role that I think Podzimski and Millette, frankly, could, could fill uh, – admirably both these guys i think would start for gonzaga to be clear but i think that they could kind of fill that role that we haven't seen really develop yet on this roster for the zags next up is another pepperdine player the only team with two guys on it uh, for this exercise that is six foot seven forward maxwell lewis probably the best nba prospect in the entire wcc that includes players on gonzaga's roster maxwell lewis is a freak uh, he's six seven. He's kind of that that combo four three hybrid, similar to the role that Corey Kispert played at Gonzaga, the role that Julian Strother is currently playing at Gonzaga. He's averaging seventeen points, six boards, four assists, a block, and two turnovers per game. His scoring numbers, uh, efficiency numbers, are just ridiculous to begin the season. Obviously, it's a very small sample size. He's shooting seventy percent on two pointers and. 
58.8% from three. Obviously, he's not going to maintain a 60% mark from beyond the arc, but last year, his true freshman year with the waves, he shot 36%. So we're looking at a guy who can knock down threes from the outside, who can stretch the floor who can play the power forward and the small forward position. Uh, he's a little lower on this list only because he's a tiny bit redundant with Julian Strother, but talent wise, he's just, he's, he's, he's probably the most talented basketball player in the WCC that's not on Gonzaga's roster. And you would be foolish to not find a way to play him uh, on Gonzaga's roster, even though again, with, with Julian Strother and with the emergence of Anton Watson, he's a bit redundant, but he's such a good scorer, such a good outside shooter. Uh, and just a, a good athlete that it would be really nice to have a player like him on Gonzaga's roster. You can never have too many guys like that. Next up, San Francisco Dons guard Khalil Shabazz from Rainier Beach, Washington. He'd be a hometown kid. Uh, he did briefly enter the transfer portal this past offseason uh, after Todd Golden took the job at Florida. And of course, Shamari Bouye left. Uh, Shabazz did end up returning to San Francisco, helped lead them to a recent victory over Wichita State so they could win their MTE event. Uh, very exciting stuff for Chris Gerlofson and the San Francisco Dons. Uh, Shabazz is a bit undersized. He's a 6'1 point guard. He's a 40% three-point shooter this year, 35% for his career. So he'd be a, a nice addition on the perimeter, a good outside shooter. He's averaging 16 points, uh, five and a half boards, and four assists per game. He does turn the ball over a lot, which is part of the reason he's a little lower on the list, uh, not because I think that his turnovers are a significant issue for the Dons necessarily, but if Gonzaga was picking players to add to their roster, they would probably pick ones who have really, really good ball security because that is a big issue for them currently. Shabazz a bit loose with the basketball. Uh, he's a very good defensive guard, though, and I think that would be a nice addition. Him and Hunter Salas and Rasir Bolton uh, could potentially form a, a three-guard lineup that would be really, really difficult uh, for opposing guards to handle. Factor in Julian Strother, Anton Watson in that mix as well. And, oh boy, you got yourself a really, really good defensive lineup. Last but not least, necessarily as an addition for the Zags, would be out of the University of Portland, and that would be combo guard forward, uh, one through five position player, Tyler Robertson. Uh, Robertson is just a do-it-all player. He's 6'6". He plays kind of the two, the three, or the four. He's averaging 18 points, five and a half boards, four and a half assists. Uh, he does average about three turnovers per game. He's not an elite defensive player, so there's he doesn't quite fit all of Gonzaga's needs, but he's a 35% three-point shooter. He's a 44% two-point shooter. He's a three-level scorer. He can score from beyond the arc. He can get to the free-throw line exceptionally well. Uh, he's great at getting to the rim as well. Uh, would be more of a role player for the Zags, but again, a, a role player who can do a little bit of everything uh, and at a position and just kind of a size that Gonzaga could really use more depth. And I think he'd be a, a really nice addition for the Zags. A couple other players that I wanted to shout out that I wanted to just give a mention to uh, BYU's Fasuni Traore. Uh, he's kind of their undersized power forward, but a guy that I think uh, could be a really nice addition for the Zags. Josh Coonan, who is probably the least impressive from a statistical perspective of the players listed on this uh, this kind of group here. But Coonan is a six foot nine stretch four for San Francisco. Knocked down fifty three pointers last year. Knocked down four or five of them in the Wichita State game very recently, a guy that I think could significantly impact Gonzaga just by being basically a beefed up, uh, more advanced version of what Ben Gregg is expected to be. Uh, there's a couple a couple St. Mary's guys on here as well, Logan Johnson and Mitchell Saxon. Uh, Logan Johnson is not a good outside shooter and not a 
great offensive player. Uh, he, his defense would be a huge addition, but I find him a tiny bit redundant with what Hunter Salas already brings to the team, uh, which is why he didn't make the list. Mitchell Saxon is a has blossomed into a premier low post score for the for the uh, Gales. He's six ten, scores around the rim, great rebounder, decent shot blocker, uh, but a bit redundant with Drew Timmy. He's he's a, a a big who can't really stretch the floor, and I think adding him to this roster would just give them another guy who kind of already does what they have guys who who do. And then the last two guys both come from Steve Lavin's San Diego Torero squad. That is a Stanford transfer, Jane Delaire and Oregon transfer, Eric Williams. Uh, Delaire hasn't been a great player just yet uh, for the, for the, uh, uh, the Torero, excuse me, but he's a, a guy who had a lot of pedigree at Stanford and could easily be a, a nice kind of stretch for for them. Eric Williams has had an incredible start to his season after coming over from Oregon. He dropped 43 points in a game for the Toreros very recently, a career high and a program record points in a single game for San Diego. Uh, anytime you can get a guard who's 6'5 and can score like that, you're going to be pretty darn happy adding them to your roster. All right, well, folks, the women's basketball team just finished an outstanding trip to the Bahamas, securing wins over Louisville and Tennessee. We're going to talk more about their upside this season. But first, a word from Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and here joined today by Matthew Walter. Matthew is a reporter covering the Las Vegas Aces as well as the Pac-12 and WCC Women's Hoops for the next a women's basketball newsletter started by locked on women's basketball host Howard Megdahl. Matthew, the Lady Zags had themselves a heck of a weekend uh, down in the Bahamas, uh, wins over number six at the time, Louisville, number 11 ranked Tennessee at the time. They sandwiched a loss to Marquette in the middle of that, but still a tremendous result for Lisa Fortier's squad. Uh, before we get into the specifics, I kind of just wanted to ask your overall impression of these results for the Lady Zags and your kind of just impression of the team after seeing these two victories. I could tell you I'm surprised, but I'm not. This is yeah. something that Lisa Fortier has done, that Gonzaga mm-hmm. has done, right? You look at last year, they go mm-hmm. and lose to Final Four team Stanford at home by six. Mm-hmm. They beat Nebraska in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, This is something that Lisa Fortier has done since she took over at Gonzaga. This is not mm-hmm. new for them. This yeah. is a program that consistently beats Power 5 programs. Mm-hmm. Am I surprised they beat Louisville a little bit just because Louisville beat them in the NCAA tournament last year? But right. that's the kind of thing where – you, you have that revenge taste in your mouth. And mm-hmm. they played really well against Louisville. They absolutely dominated, especially on the glass against uh, the mm-hmm. Cardinals. 50 rebounds for Gonzaga, 31 for Louisville. Just dominated them on the boards. They had 18 offensive rebounds. And the nice thing for Gonzaga is coming into this year, right, they had some star players, but there were some role players who were going to need to step in. And in mm-hmm. both of those wins, somebody different 
was sort of the the catalyst for them. And in that mm-hmm. Louisville game, it's Eliza Hollingworth, Hollingsworth mm-hmm. with 18 points, Brenda mm-hmm. Maxwell, the transfer from Utah with 21. Yeah. And then that went over Tennessee, who we'll talk about that one. That one mm-hmm. is still impressive, but not as impressive because Tennessee's had a struggle to start the year. Yeah. But you have 22 from Yvonne Ejim, who's been their absolute stud to start the year, but then mm-hmm. 12 from Michaela Williams and eight rebounds for her. So I'm not at all super surprised. This is a Gonzaga team who I thought could definitely – win you know win a lot of games and i picked them to win the west coast conference they're mm-hmm. the leader in the clubhouse right now but just i mean the way that they did it two wins in three games is really mm-hmm. impressive and they honestly could have beat marquette they were in that game to the last minute and kaylee trong didn't even play in that game and she's yeah. probably their best or second best player that's what i was going to say too for them to be in a, in a game against marquette without kaylee trong uh, who's been just fantastic for them and a critical part of, of what they do i think really shows the the impressive depth that this team has in a, in a way that we've seen it from them in the past, but to have it challenged this early in the year against teams like this, I know Tennessee has struggled, but there's still a quality program. Louisville obviously is a, is a great program and Marquette is not a bad program at all either. It's not like that's a devastating loss by any capacity uh, for me, looking at this team and the additions and just kind of the, the roster construction this year, it, it's clear to me that Brenna Maxwell is such a, a critical addition in terms of just the ability to have somebody who can go get you a bucket. She can score in multiple different ways. She was a, a double digits point per game score at Utah for, I believe, all three seasons that she was there, like somebody who can who can just go get you points uh, in, in a hurry in, in a variety of different ways. And it seems like uh, a team that that lost a lot of talent from last year's roster, a team that was kind of, we knew E. Jim was going to be a star. We knew the Trunk Twins were going to be critical, but you kind of needed another piece. And it sure seems like she's kind of stepped up to be somebody who's really going to help them this season. Yeah, I would say so. And I knew that, you know, I, I've covered the mm-hmm. Pac-12 a little bit right. last year. And sort of the one big story I wrote was how this Utah offense last year was really good. And then obviously we've seen mm-hmm. it this year too, right? They put up yeah. 124 in Oklahoma, but mm-hmm. Brenna was such a big part of that. And just watching her play in person, her shot is so quick out of her hand. Like it's mm-hmm. a Clay Thompson quick kind of release. It gets mm-hmm. out so fast and she can hit one, miss one, hit one. Like she doesn't need to yeah. make one just to make the next one. Mm-hmm. She has such confidence. And I'm talking to at least 48 media day. She said, Brenna's really trying to grow. She's trying yeah. to expand her offensive game, be more than a shooter, but she's also trying to learn and get better on the defense men. And that's where I think mm-hmm. maybe she has some reservations is her defense is still building, right? She's going to be a much better defender now that she's not having to guard power five players and she can sort of find her way, but Mm -hmm. her offensive game is always going to be there. She's got such a quick release. It's going to be a little bit easier for her against maybe not as high quality defenders that she was facing in the PAC 12 here Mm -hmm. in the West coast conference and other mid major games in the non-conference, but she showed it right. 21 points against Louisville. She showed her power five presence. So that's the kind of game you need to have someone like that step up when you're playing a power five opponent. So we're looking at a Gonzaga team right now that has uh, their five and one on the season. Their only loss is that Marquette game, two wins over ranked opponents, a narrow victory over a team in Wyoming that probably shouldn't have been a narrow victory, but Hey, wins win uh, looking at this team and, you know, kind of the, the landscape of women's basketball right now, like where, where do you see this team? Are they like on the cusp of being a top 25 team? Are they a top 25 team in your mind? Like if not kind of what do they need to do to get there? You mentioned you predicted that they would win the WCC. I suspect that that is still kind of the feeling that you have, especially after the start to the season. But I'm kind of curious what you see as this team's kind of ceiling and maybe where you would rate them right now. I I still, I'd say they're a top 25 team. Absolutely. And I Mm -hmm. think the hard thing is the way that our, the poll works right in, Mm-hmm. women's basketball and men's basketball is they come out on Mondays. Right. So they played those first two games 
Saturday and Sunday. So I think mm-hmm. if they beat Marquette, you would have seen them in that top 25. Yep. But because they played, they lost Marquette on a Sunday, then they beat Tennessee on a Monday, your mm-hmm. next top 25 ranking comes out the following Monday. Yep. But uh, this is absolutely a top 25 team. I think they had were like third in votes received in the top mm-hmm. 25 poll that came out on Monday. They're mm-hmm. a high, high quality opponent. I think anyone who faces them is going to have some very big difficulties. The biggest thing for me, Lisa Forte always coaches her team up on defense. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly efficient on offense. They don't do things out of their normal structure, right? Yeah. They play within themselves. They don't mm-hmm. go off the reservation mm-hmm. and that really allows them to sort of stay in every game they play. They never get way out of games mm-hmm. and they're absolutely a team that can be a top 25 team the whole season because, mm-hmm. you know, they have one more big test in the non-conference. They play Stanford who obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they play every year and it's a great battle, but Stanford is on a different level than a lot of teams. As we saw Stanford went up to Portland who I projected as the second best team in the WCC and beat them by 40 points. Yeah. So beating Stanford, especially in Maples is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. If they do that, then they're clearly a top 25 team, but even still, I think losing to Stanford, that's no, no mm-hmm. negative at all. And yeah. I think you're still a top 25 team either way. And now you're right. I think they really did prove that they're the class of the WCC. Mm-hmm. I did say this in the preseason. It's probably the most wide open the conference has been. So yeah. there definitely is other teams who are going to say this might be our year because there are some, you know, some of those normal stalwarts, mainly BYU is on, on a downtrend. Yeah. But Gonzaga is still the class of the conference. They've shown that for years. And based off of this early tournament and some of their wins, they're clearly going to have people are going to have to come to beat them. They're not going to have to prove it to anybody. Let's talk about that Stanford game because that's obviously the biggest game for Gonzaga every single year. We love at BYU. That's always a fun one. I, unfortunately, might not be as fun this year just because BYU, like you mentioned, is a bit on that downtrend. But this Stanford game has been kind of a staple for the women's team uh, for many years, and they they always keep it close. Like you said, I thought that was a great point about Coach Forty Eight. They they're they're so rarely going to get blown out. It's just not the way that their their style is, uh, and they they make Stanford sweat every single year. It feels like. Uh, this is an incredibly good Cardinal squad. Uh, we've learned a lot about this women's team for Gonzaga already in the early part of the season. Uh, knowing that it's a really uphill task to win on the road against a team like Stanford, I am curious how you think that game might go and and, and what, what it might tell us about the Zags regardless of outcome. Well, I think the, the, the way it's going to go is it's can Gonzaga, who has limited post experience outside of Egypt, deal mm-hmm. with probably the best post group in the entire country yep. with Cameron Brink, who showed on Sunday against South Carolina, having 25 scoring at all three levels. Mm-hmm. You've got Kiki Irioffen, who's been absolutely growing as a sophomore player. Haley Jones, who's a point forward, but you know, six, one mm-hmm. big guard, mm-hmm. but where Gonzaga I think has the advantages in the guard play, right? Yeah. The strong twins and Brenna Maxwell probably are as good, if not maybe better because Stanford is down at the yeah. guard spot. So it's can the other post guard against Brink and Iriofen and all the posts that come in off the bench mm-hmm. for the Cardinal. Whether Gonzaga wins or loses, I think even just going to play Stanford and keeping it close, right? That's yeah. a net ranking win. Absolutely. You're, you're looking for net ranking wins in the non-conference. They've got a bunch of them already by playing quality opponents and beating quality opponents. Just going on the road to play Stanford, as long as you you know don't lose by 40, you're getting yep. a net ranking win. Mm-hmm. And Gonzaga at this point, with these wins they already have, I think even if they were to lose, the conference tournament is still an NCAA tournament team yep. and an at-large bid. But playing Stanford tough, 
see Gonzaga's putting them in a situation where they could be a seven seed, a six seed, and mm-hmm. maybe pull an upset in that second round and get to the Sweet 16 because they put themselves in a good position to go and beat somebody. And they've proven they can beat anybody by beating Louisville, by beating Tennessee. Yeah. And, you know, if you hang around with Stanford, who's probably a number one seed, then mm-hmm. you're in a good spot that you're going to build confidence in your team that you can go and beat anybody on their home floor. Well, Matthew, th- thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today to talk a little bit about the women's basketball team, help preview this really exciting matchup against Stanford. I'm excited for a conference play to get started and hoping we can chat again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate the time. All right. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. Uh, really fun stuff coming up this week with the PK85. Don't miss it. Check out the show wherever you get podcasts and go Zags.